0: Okay, guys, you're not going to want to miss this episode 14 of the podcast with Dr. Travis Burns. Uh, he was live from the Olympic Training Center out in Colorado Springs. He is a West Point grad. He did his medical uh, education at UT Health Science Center in Houston. Uh, he's, a, he's a sports medicine head at Sam'sy for seven years here in San Antonio. He enjoys working on shoulders, hips, arthroscopic sports injuries, I'm uh, avid tennis player. He's kicked my butt at uh, Mission CrossFit many times at 5 a.m. Uh, overall, just a, a, a great doc, great to get together with him, and you're not going to want to miss our podcast with him. So we do get into the weeds a little bit like we did with uh, Johnny Owens and Dr. Spencer, but there is much to be gained from this from all walks so just hang in there if it does get a little bit sciency, but everyone is going to be able to benefit from our discussion episode 14 with dr travis burns welcome to the broken to unbroken podcast with dr nick askey where we dive deep into how to eliminate pain and continue to train welcome to episode 14 of the broken to unbroken podcast with dr. Travis burns uh, and working with uh, working out with Travis is a humbling experience because he smoked me regularly in our uh, 5 a.m workouts out at uh, mission CrossFit but Travis I heard him uh, on the Owens recovery science podcast and uh, figured out that he was going to be joining a group that I, I refer a lot of patients to. I've referred some patients to Travis in the past, and I'm looking forward to him uh, joining the civilian world. So thanks for taking some time out of your, your busy schedule to to chat with us, Travis. Yeah, well,
1: thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to uh, to get out into the private practice.
0: Yeah, so just kind of give us a little bit of a brief outline of like where you did your school uh any athletic background you have what your your like academic uh past has been but also just kind of what's in the future for you
1: yeah so um, i went to west point for undergraduate education and uh, played tennis there Um, and after finishing at west point uh, with the military went to medical school in Houston and uh, after finishing medical school came to san antonio and did my orthopedic surgery residency and after finishing um, residency here in town uh, deployed to iraq for a little while came back from deployment and then uh, went back to west point for a sports medicine fellowship to focus on um, arthroscopic surgeries to you know take care of athletes acl reconstructions rotator cuff tears shoulder instability and after finishing fellowship came back to san antonio and i've been working at um uh, or bmc um, since that time
0: yeah it seems to be the the whatever the amc of the day is they keep changing it and it confuses me (laughs)
1: yeah yeah it's it's pretty bad whenever you work there and you're not sure what to call it
0: yeah so can you kind of highlight some of the because you work with a, a pretty diverse group of patients from uh military to athletes to just your your desk jockey civilians are there any unique challenges or benefits uh to working in those different systems and with those different demographic groups
1: yeah i I think it is i think you know i um i think it's uh one a challenging um group having you know different goals different pathology and, and maybe even different amounts of participation in rehab you know at um at CMC, we have the benefit of having the CFI there, which is uh, has some really, really high-end therapy. And so um, some of our younger athletes who are really interested in trying to get back to high-end sports um, have the benefit of, of getting those guys over there. And then there's other patients that I, that I can't get into therapy at all. So um, it, it's certainly each patient is, a, is unique, and especially whatever you're treating from young athletes with common things like ACL tears and shoulder instability to older patients where you're doing more common stuff like rotator cuff repairs or shoulder replacements. Um, You know, there's, there's similar um, kind of facets of their care, as far as uh, trying to get, you know, get pain relief after surgery, get them back to get moving. Um, But their own individual amounts of participation, time to commit to it, and then goals after um, recovering, um, Kind of makes you have to um, uniquely, um, you know, sort out their their post operative uh, therapy, where they're going to go and, and how much therapy they're going to do.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a big thing because I I only have two main groups. Like I have desk jockeys and then your your hired athletes, but it's it is difficult to tailor your patient education in – like to, for a lack of better term, your hard assness, uh, because not everyone has the goal of being an elite athlete or like getting to what you would consider a hundred percent. It's like kind of putting what is your goal for the patient on the back burner and kind of sitting down with them going, okay, what is your realistic goal with this? And not everyone has as high of a ceiling or expectations as you do as the, as the physician.
1: Yeah, I I think you're you're dead on there, and um, you know, so sometimes I feel like patients are coming back and they you know, I'll get a note from therapy that they've they've missed several appointments, and in my mind they're a little bit behind, and I ask them how they think they're doing, and they they think they're doing great, and so some sometimes I wonder if if my goals are are higher than theirs, and and if I should push them for that, or if I should just accept what they want and, and let them. Uh, let them achieve what they're looking to get out of it. So I agree. I think it's it's for sure individualized uh, based, based on, you know, what their goals are and, and what they're hoping to accomplish, as well as what, you know, resources and time they have to commit.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm kind of going through this with my dad right now because at work he was catching a concrete form, and he ripped his pec, ripped his bicep, and ripped his cuff, and he went to work for two weeks with all of that, completely torn and just worked with his left hand and then had to get surgery and he thinks that this is going to be an overnight thing and he's mad because he's like hunting season's coming up i can't kiss cast my fishing rod and it's just like dad this is going to be a process because you're 60 years old and you have to rehab through this and he's like well like it this this should be getting better because i got surgery and i think that people View their their visit to a surgeon as like, hey, I, I should be fixed now. I shouldn't have to do anything after.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. But I tell you, if, if if with patients like your dad, I I would take a I would take every one of them. Those guys who get hurt, have a significant injury, and keep working, uh, you you know that they're going to do well because they're going to work through it and they're not going to let things slow them down. But uh, but I I think you're right. And you know, I think the other thing that's hard is is patients have. Um, they either get information from family members, they read things on the internet or their expectations because of a prior, you know, minor procedure, um, affects what their expectations are. And so they kind of go into it. Maybe they had a prior knee scope and they, the next day they are walking around doing okay and didn't really limit them. But you go in for a big shoulder reconstruction and you're in a sling for six weeks. That's a, that's a whole different ball game.
0: Yeah. my dad had a. A prior cuff repair on that shoulder when i was five years old and the same surgeon did this surgery and he told him he goes the technology is better but this is a lot this is a whole different ball game as far as how much damage there is and how long you worked with it and how much retraction occurred so he's like it's gonna take longer than your first one and my dad was like dude this was 30 years ago like you should be able to like just basically microwave this thing back into place.
1: Yeah, that's right. We, we certainly have better tools and more tricks and um, new anchors and new ways to pass suture, but you're exactly right. It that, that doesn't change the biology, and it doesn't change um, that your body has to heal that tendon down to bone, and um, we're not smart enough to know how to make that happen faster yet.
0: So when are you looking to make the transition into primarily like uh, civilian practice?
1: Yeah. I'm going to um, start seeing um, patients essentially whenever I get back from uh, the Olympic training center. And, uh, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll be seeing patients essentially right away. And, uh, um, I have uh, one more clinic at the military hospital. Um, to kind of see kind of some follow-up patients. And I'm also going to be seeing um, uh, patients at the VA. I'm, I'm going to start working at the VA part-time. So um, we'll be able to still see, take care of some uh, veterans uh, through the VA system.
0: Awesome, man. So what, there's a lot of our, our docs that are going to be listening in the in the San Antonio area. And I, I want to know for my own, because I know I've sent you a couple of knees uh, that were just really, really tough cases. And, uh, what do you like to see? What, what is kind of, what is your bread and butter? What could you, what, if you could pick a patient base that you could see all day, what would you like to see?
1: Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm hoping to build, um, a shoulder practice and a kind of a sports medicine practice. And what I mean by that is, um, I did a lot of shoulder replacements, um whether it's the anatomic shoulder replacements or reverse shoulder replacements and um uh, and you know even kind of complex shoulder fracture work Um, so that's kind of one subset of the population that i I really enjoy treating and um, i feel like it can provide some benefit too and then the other is kind of the sports medicine or arthroscopic procedures so we do a lot of arthroscopy for shoulders knees and hips and so hip labral tears fai um, you know, the knee stuff that we've talked about, ACL reconstructions, meniscal tears, um, and then all the shoulder, um, arthroscopic procedures, rotator cuff tears, um, labral tears, and just kind of like you brought up with your dad is, is um, pec tears that come up every once in a while.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a large subset of the population that I have to send out, uh, in, in, it's interesting because there's really only two main people that do hip scopes in San Antonio. And it's a, it's a pretty saturated surgical market in San Antonio. And I think in Texas in general, because surgeons and and high earners tend to move to States that don't have a state income tax. And uh, our laws do tend to protect people that have to cut people open because of tort reform to where some laws in certain states, you're really hanging out on a limb as a physician that has to put somebody to sleep and do some high risk procedures. But in Texas, you're kind of protected if you do make an honest mistake. Uh, they're not going to be able to like take everything away from you, uh, which I think is is good and bad in some in some aspects. But it, it's good to have somebody else entering the market doing hip scopes because uh, one of them will be one of your future coworkers. Uh, and then Tabor is the only other Tabor and Murray were kind of our only options for hip scopes and everyone else is more replacement oriented.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, it, it's kind of a, um, a newer procedure that's, um, really evolved over the past probably five to 10 years with equipment availability and implants. Um, you know, the, doing arth- arthroscopic procedures on the hip is totally different than the knee and the shoulder because the, the joint is so constrained that you actually have to distract the hip um, so that you're able to get your instruments you know, ins- inside the joint and do the label repair, do the trimming of the bone. Um, so it's it's not something that's, that's, that everybody does or everybody was trained to do, but, but you're right, there's there's a few few guys in town uh, now and uh, certainly we'll be we help, happy to add to that um, surgeon availability and um, and treat whoever needed, but there's, you know, there's the things that come up uh, commonly is something called FAI, femoral acetabular impingement, um, labral tears. People will commonly see those on their MRIs, and there's starting to be some new kind of cartilage preserving procedures, and then there's also some tendon repairs outside the hip, gluteus medius tears, and things that um, that can be repaired um, endoscopically. So. I think um, as technology evolves, as surgeons continue to kind of figure out pathology that that can be improved, um, we get better and better. And I think that's kind of where we are with hip arthroscopy now.
0: What are the, and this is funny because I was talking to my mentor drinking coffee this morning and he saw Murray uh, earlier, uh, like last week, I think, and he's got a combo cam and pincer. It's like 45 years old uh hurts twenty squats and goes into that kind of impingement position no matter where his knee tracks. What are the kind of standards of of care and standards of practice as far as managing like a combo cam and pincer?
1: yeah, so I, you know for these guys especially if you're if um, uh if you're over you know forty forty five um, and even for younger athletes, I, I always think it's worth trying therapy initially. Um, I think working on, uh, the range of motion that you have, making sure that it's not some type of capsule or muscular impingement and given, given patients, uh, an opportunity to maybe modify their activities, maybe even modify some of their body mechanics. If, if they're playing a sport where they feel like they're impinging, um, maybe, uh, look at their mechanics and see if there's something that can be changed so that they can avoid surgery. I think that's, um, kind of the first line. And, um, after you get through that, and you and you think that there's something structural inside the hip that's um, that's not going to improve with without surgery, um, there's there's a few things that we can do. One is you can you can trim the front of the bone of the socket um, arthroscopically, so you um, kind of uh, the um, pincer type impingement essentially implies that you know the cup is a little bit um, over covered in the front, and that that's what's causing the contact between the 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 acetabulum and the femur and so if you you can trim some of that um, anterior cup away um, that may free up the hip for range of motion and and stop the formation of those labral tears and then similarly on the femur side um, you can use a burr and reshape the the femoral neck and so you restore some of the head neck offset um, take away that cam bump so that that won't um, impinge whenever people kind of go into that impingement position with flexion adduction internal rotation Um, and then you can also put anchors in the bone and sew the labrum back down so you really can do a kind of a comprehensive treatment of that even whenever there's impingement coming from both sides of the bone
0: yeah and my my experience with that is it's much easier to resolve those in males than females like my nightmare is like a a pretty lit up FAI in an adolescent female with hypermobility in the anterior joint they're they're a nightmare to to try and conservatively manage
1: yes you you are absolutely correct and, and you and I share in that difficulty you know those those patients who have subtle um, hip instability um, commonly have you know a shallow socket which leads them to just mechanically being unstable and and they typically are participating in sports that are um, that are Contributing to that, and so here in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center, I saw um, a young figure skater um, who was saying that she has hip pain every time she puts her leg over her head. And you know, my, my immediate response is, "We'll stop putting your leg over your head." But uh, you know, trying try, trying to find something to treat those patients um, uh, and and get them feeling better that they can do the things they want to do is, is a really a challenge because it's a it's a biomechanical thing for them with the, just the structure of their socket. Plus, commonly, the activities that they're participating in.
0: Yeah, and, and with athletes, it's not like there, there are some patients that come in with some ridiculous things to where they're like, oh, it hurts if I, if I do this thing that I never really have to do to perform my daily activities. But uh, with an athlete, it's like if it's part of their sport, you're, you're kind of handcuffed in saying, well, don't do that because it's kind of their livelihood.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And, you know, I th- um, we talked touched a little bit earlier on um, treating these hip patients initially with therapy. But I tell you, there's young adolescent instability patients um, uh, with hip pain. I, re- I do everything I can to avoid surgery on them. There, there are some things that we can do surgically to to try to make them better with um, kind of trying to tighten the capsule up and do what we call a, a capsule plication where we try to reduce some of the instability by... Um, kind of closing the capsule down. But I really think that those patients benefit the most if you, if you can um, uh, let them kind of improve the strength of their dynamic stabilizers and, and avoid surgery on them.
0: And I think some of those people are their own worst enemy because everybody's instinct is to stretch everything if it hurts. And a lot of these anterior instability and congenital dysplasia people uh, they tend to do that yoga version of the the psoas or hip flexor stretch, and they shoot that hip way forward and and lever that femur head anterior, and it doesn't do them any favors because they're just stretching out that anterior capsule. But they're like, oh well, it feels better. I'm like, well, it's not making it any better. It's making it worse. And the only reason it feels better is you're you're kind of moving it and you're you're gating your pain. Yeah, you're
1: you're abs- you're absolutely right, and I think that um, a lot of Practitioners don't have the understanding of that pathology and may even contribute to it by you know, um, encouraging them to do that. But, you, but you're exactly right. Anything, anything that they're doing to, um, to translate or dislocate their hip anteriorly is gonna cause a problem. And, and there have been some case reports in the orthopedic literature of those patients dislocating their hips after surgery. So when, whenever we go in arthroscopically to um, you know, address a labral tear, we have to um, release part of the capsule there's some um, a few cases out there of patients getting done with surgery and, and their hips completely dislocating afterwards, and so it's it's for sure a, a real problem and um, and it can certainly get worse um, with with the wrong treatment.
0: And I think that point you made segues perfectly into our next discussion on as a surgeon, like what do you look for in a rehab clinician to take care of your post-surgical folks in kind of what are your, some of your pet peeves? Because I think some of those post-surgical dislocations could have been avoided by people being up to date on the literature and not being too aggressive too early and following your guidelines, because really this, this is quarterbacked by you. And it's really your, your name and your reputation on this, this whole operation, whether it's it's during surgery, after surgery, and the final outcome kind of have your signature on it. So I'm sure that you're pretty protective of your post-surgical people. And you need to be somewhat selective of the the people that you let have access to your post-surgical patients.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And you're exactly right. I think, you know, uh, surgeons are, uh, by nature, very protective of their patients and um, and want people to do well, and, and you certainly, um, you know, feel it internally whenever somebody doesn't do well. And so you're really protective of what they do after surgery, who they're seeing, and how closely they they follow your protocol. And so I have uh, physical therapy protocols for all of my um, patients and all the surgeries that I do on my website. And so I tell them you know, whether it's a rotator cuff repair, you know, a hip arthroscopy, I give them a printout. Um, of what I want them to do in therapy what I don't want them to do and you, you know if somebody like you is treating my patients it's that's probably not necessary an overkill but just like you said some some people don't keep up with the uh, with the literature maybe they didn't pay attention to what surgery was performed um and I, I certainly have had a couple of instances where um I think patients outcomes were compromised by doing things too early and and uh after surgery and so um, try to be really, really careful, um, especially in the early postoperative period, because it's, you can usually make up gains if, if people are too stiff or, you know, go too slow after surgery that can usually be made up, um, you know, as time goes on. But if you do something too early to um, uh, tear a tendon that was repaired or, you know, it's called hip dislocation, those things um, usually can't be undone with therapy that's, you know, and, having to go back in and um, do a second surgery for somebody is, is humbling for everybody involved.
0: Yeah. And I was, I was shadowing Jamie Lynch uh, a week ago, and we were talking about that because she tends to be pretty conservative on the early movement of her cuff tears and the repair And there. There's a, seems to be a big variance of, it's almost like a philosophical divide of when you have a cuff tear, how early do you move it? Uh, because the the retail rate sen- tends to be just astronomically high when you look at it, it kind of raises your eyebrows of how high the the retail rate is on these these cuff repairs.
1: Yeah, you're you're right, and, and uh, you mentioned Jamie, and Jamie's great. I I love her; she's awesome. But um, yeah, for so for you know rotator cuff tears after surgery, you know it, it's kind of a, it's a it's a funny kind of um, situation because the patients that move earlier um but don't tear their tendon do the best they come back their motion's better they feel like they're making progress faster they're happier Um, but on the other hand if they do too much and um, re-tear their tendon then you're kind of back to square one and so um, most surgeons um, err on the side of caution um, knowing that you know if you moved a little bit faster you may feel better but um, that whatever small percentage that, that tears their tendon, um, you can't fix that with therapy. And so, um, I'm, I'm just like Jamie and I, I, I like to be conservative, um, just because I know that we can work things out motion wise later. And I want to give every opportunity for it to heal the first time and to get the best long-term outcome rather than worrying about, you know, how they're doing it, you know, their two or three month point. And so, you know, the, and the other thing that we all talk about is, Everybody doesn't heal the same. If you have a, you know, an acute rotator cuff tear in a forty-year-old from a fall, that rotator cuff's going to heal at a very different rate than a old attritional tear in a sixty-five-year-old diabetic smoker uh, with high cholesterol. You know, it all, all of those patient individual factors certainly matter, and I try to take a little bit of that into consideration uh, whenever I give uh, patients those restrictions.
0: Yeah. And that's part of our job as rehab clinicians to set the expectations when there's a bunch of comorbidities and, and people just aren't generally healthy, or they have fear avoidance, fear avoidance behaviors. And it's just like, okay, this is drastically going to affect our prognosis and our initial discussion on how fast this is going to heal. And I, I don't do a ton of post-surgical work. Uh, the extent of my post-surgical work is usually co-management with their post-operative physical therapy uh, when they are released for manual work. And it's just basically getting them that last 15%. If the, if the therapy group or the, the post-surgical group is not confident in doing manual work on people, then we usually co-manage with that. Uh, and I think the big thing is just making sure that there's open lines of communication with uh, the, the post-surgical therapy, the surgeon, just so everyone's kind of running in the same direction and uh, it doesn't affect the patient outcome and it doesn't affect your uh, outcome as the surgeon.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And you're exactly right. I think um, the more people that you can have involved looking at a patient, um, looking at what they think is hindering their recovery, um, the better. And I I think that that's something that's um, really evident here at the Olympic Training Center is they have um, PTs, um, uh, chiropractors, orthopedic surgeons, strength coaches, um, everybody kind of looking together at a patient um, in the early diagnosis period and in the treatment phase And um, having people with different backgrounds, different disciplines, different focuses, um, uh, certainly can provide benefits to patients where they have a really comprehensive view from multiple disciplines and and trying to give them benefit and trying to get them um, back to where they want to be.
0: So let's talk about your time out at the Olympic Training Center. What motivated you to go out there? What are you doing out there? Because I've been fortunate enough to be able to bump some elbows with Bill Moreau, who's been out there for a while. Uh, that guy, he he kind of reminds me of Baloo from the jungle book. He's just like <laughs> he's just like super bubbly and like he's outgoing. I want to know what kind of coffee he drinks. But like there even if someone had a bias against chiropractors. Uh, they would be very, uh, for lack of a more complex term, stupid, to go toe to toe academically with Bill because he's super sharp.
1: Yeah, I tell you, you know, it's it's, it's a great place out here, and uh, they they have a great setup um, uh, for evaluating athletes. They have all kinds of technology, looking at you know force plates, looking at the amount of force. Um, they can produce with one legged activities, two legged activities. Um, and, and the great thing is they have, you know, uh, perspectives from, um, chiropractors and therapists and orthopedic surgeons. And so they, I mean, they really have, um, a well, um, well represented team from multiple disciplines and they have, they have a great, they have a great setup out here and, um, and just being out here, it's really fun taking care of the athletes uh, right now. Um, the wrestlers are uh, here training, and uh, the men's gymnastics team just finished their tryouts for nationals and so it's it's pretty pretty cool to see really, really high-end athletes do the things that they're really good at and so it's a it's a really fun experience.
0: And I think it was an interesting quote when I was listening to Bill lecture at our homecoming he said, I got hired for one half of 1%. And it, it's it's interesting because in the, the general population, we take people from extremely dysfunctional to satisfactory, whereas you're taking the elite and trying to like juice that orange a little bit to get like one half of one drop out of it to where uh, you're just trying to get that like person from fourth to second or fourth to first, and a lot of times that's just one half of one percent, uh, just because at the top there's not much, uh, not much separation between the talent levels.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, little things at this level can can make a big impact on. Um, you know how they perform, and you know hundreds of a second literally can make the difference between uh, these guys being successful or not being successful. And so, uh, you're right; it's it's certainly the one half of one percent uh, patient population here. But um, but it's, it's it's really fun because you know the the patients obviously are incredibly motivated; will do anything um, that's needed to be done. Are hard workers, and um, everyone shares a common goal of. You know, keeping them as healthy as possible um, to make sure that they can train as much as they need to, and then um, really focus on recovery type activities, and you know, expediting care for any injuries that do come up. So it's it really is a, a fun system that they have here. But you're right it's it's not um, it's not the typical population. I mean, they have uh, MRIs that are available that can get done almost as, uh, well. They can MRIs get done the same day. Um, they get in to see surgeons. You know within an hour of them getting hurt. So it's um, it's, it's, it's not the usual population, but it, it presents its own interesting challenges uh, because of that.
0: So I'm sure you run into some very motivated type A uh, personalities there. And I'm sure a lot of the, the athletes, that's their life. That's what they've been pushed to do their entire life. Uh, I'm sure bo- all of most of them have very high pressure parenting situations, uh, that have been driven them to just like, all right, push through this, do this, be, and it's just like you take your average mentality of a CrossFitter and multiply that by 10. Uh, and that's pro, that would be what I would imagine that you're dealing with. So what challenges, um, uh, either from a specific, uh, injury or sport, uh, But also, just general things as far as like dealing with a hyper competitive, high pressure uh, athlete population, do you get out there?
1: You're right, and that's the exact challenge that's here. And, you know, whenever you see patients in the typical clinical setting, they come in, they say, Hey, I've had knee pain or shoulder pain or hip pain that's been going on for three months, six months. Most of the time, I've seen patients, they've had therapy, they have an MRI. Um, and so they're, they're kind of further down the road in their injury and their treatment. Whereas here, um, patients walk in and say, I've had shoulder pain for about two hours. And so it's a, it's a, it's a different, unique challenge. And, you know, fortunately, most of that difficult, um, early treatment and kind of conversation with the athletes, um, goes to you guys, because as, as a surgeon, um, there's not a whole lot that they want from me. Um, in these situations because most of this stuff here is, is overuse injuries um, And so a lot of the early treatment is um, Manual therapy active release therapy. They're doing a lot of deep massage um, So they're they're doing some of those modalities early on in their course of treatment, but certainly whenever uh, patients come to you immediately after an injury, it's, it's a different presentation Um, then once they've been dealing with it and you kind of have an idea of what their limitations are going to be long-term, I mean, whenever I see somebody who says they've got two hours of shoulder pain, my initial response is, okay, we'll come back and see me in a week and let me know what it's feeling like. So, um, but certainly at this level, they try to get a diagnosis very early on and, and, um, try to make sure that any treatment that they can do early to get them back to performance, um, you know, is, is met.
0: And with work in the CrossFit games, um, for like five or six years, it it makes the assessment a lot easier because it's like, okay, we haven't had a chance for ripples to spread in the pond. This happened five minutes ago. And I I watched you do it on on the TV. And we know what workout you were doing. We've seen 15 other people with this problem. uh, and, And a lot of it is just you haven't had a chance for this thing to spread and develop compensations through the kinetic chain. So it's a lot less thought. And we send a lot of our new docs out to work the CrossFit games because it's good, good hands-on experience. Uh, and it's not as much of a, a monetary hit to the company to send someone who's not busy out to the CrossFit games to go work on athletes. But I tell these docs, don't get nervous because it's like usually where they say the pain is, that's usually where the problem is because have, we haven't had a chance to get a compensatory secondary tennis elbow from a lack of shoulder extension or rotation, uh, or it hasn't, you haven't developed an upper trap dominance secondary to a shoulder impingement. It's like, usually if they point at something, that's where the problem is if it's 15 minutes old.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think that's exactly right. And, um, and that's something that that you guys in your discipline deal with a lot more frequently than I do. As far as compensatory problems, altered gait, you know, poor shoulder mechanics, scapulothoracic problems. Um, those, when I see those patients in clinic, I, you know, I tell them that um, surgery is not going to fix their problem, but they certainly need to get in uh, with a with a good therapist and um, and and correct some of those maladaptive patterns. But you're exactly right, and, and these acute injuries, um, where the pain is, is where the money is, and um, trying to ad- address that specific symptom can usually get those guys. Um, And girls back to doing what they want to do
0: So how long have you been out there?
1: Uh, I'll be out here total two weeks. I've been out here now um, about a week and a half
0: Nice man. So you're heading back to town soon Yes,
1: fortunately my wife and four kids at home um, are um, Asking for me to return to get back to family duties.
0: Oh, I'm sure you're you're getting pressure on multiple angles on that Absolutely Excellent, man. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to cover before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't think so. Just uh, wanted to thank you for doing this, and um, you know, pre- appreciate your expertise. I think uh, you and I know, but um, not not only are we friends, but but you've taken care of me before, and um, I'm still doing some of those back exercises that you showed me. And you know, I think that's one of the real, you know, highlights for for Rasty. That um, you know that that. I haven't um, seen throughout all of the uh, kind of recovery and manual therapy um, providers is that I I think a lot of people go to see a um, either chiropractor, massage therapist, physical therapist, et cetera, and maybe do some early modalities, but they don't get into a long-term active rehabilitation program where they're doing exercise on their own. I think that's one of the things that you're great at and really think that benefits patients in the long run is having patients kind of take ownership of what's causing their problems and, and where their uh, need to strengthen where they need to uh, improve their flexibility and uh, sometimes having that hard conversation with patients that this isn't a quick fix. But this is something that we can work on with your effort um, over a few weeks to a few months. Um, I, I think that those are uh, great skills and, and great conversations that you guys have with patients and and appreciate you for that and look forward to uh, sending you some of my tough patients to help me with.
0: Well, I look forward to the challenge, man. So uh, where can people uh, kind of put a face with a name? Is there a a website or or social media that you're on that uh, people can check you out? And I know that we'll be uh, as soon as your business cards are hot off the press, we'll get a bunch of them circulating around our San Antonio doctors so that we can we can really send some cases your way that need your expertise.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that. So yeah, um, I have a website that's uh, almost completed. It's kind of under construction, but there is a, a page saved and it's just travisburnsmd.com. So www.travisburnsmd.com. And our group site, um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, is Ortho San Antonio and uh, Matt Murray, Matt Maury, Jesse DeLee, and uh, John Hinchey are my partners. And uh, that can be found just by a Google search of Ortho San Antonio. And um, certainly I'll, I'll bring some cards by and uh, would, would be honored to, to help take care of any patients that you guys have.
0: Excellent, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. We'll let you uh, get on with your day and take care of some high-level athletes and I look forward to welcoming you back to Texas soon.
1: Great. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate you. All
0: right. Thanks, Travis. Yep.